The Read to Lead Podcast, Episode 13. Hey, this is John Acuff, New York Times bestselling author of Start. And right now, you're listening to the Read to Lead Podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. Persuading, for me, is when you convince someone freely to change a belief. And manipulating is when you try to trick someone into doing something that's potentially harmful. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of the Read to Lead podcast. My goal is to help you develop a more intentional and consistent reading habit because I believe that reading is essential to your success in both business and in life. If you love to read or desire to do more of it, then consider this podcast your audio Cliffs Notes. Each week we sit down with another successful and inspiring nonfiction author and we talk about not only their latest book, but also their thoughts on leadership, personal development, career, business, entrepreneurship, and a whole lot more. And in this episode, you and I get to chat with Lisa B. Marshall, author of Smart Talk, The Public Speaker's Guide to Success in Every Situation. Lisa is here to help us improve our communication skills, our networking skills, and things like how to speak with tact and grace, as well as how to have difficult conversations. First, I want to let you know about the Road Trip Conference. It's almost here, and this is your last chance to take advantage of the $200 discount just for being a Read to Lead podcast listener. The Road Trip Conference features Chris Licurdo and Seth Godin, along with over 40 other speakers. This happens October 10th, 11th, and 12th in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well worth the trip. And you can get $200 off when you use my name, Jeff Brown, in the promo code box. To find out more about the Road Trip Conference, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash road trip. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash road trip. Enter my name, Jeff Brown, in the promo code box for $200 off your registration. This is your last week to take advantage of that, so make sure you do so right away. Lisa B. Marshall is probably best known as the host of the award-winning The Public Speaker Podcast, a podcast that has seen over 10 million downloads since its debut in 2008. She is a coach and consultant helping organizations build stronger teams, manage conflict, create stronger, more effective messages, and deliver better presentations. She's been a keynote speaker and workshop leader for well over a dozen years, and she's the author of Smart Talk, The Public Speaker's Guide to Success in Every Situation, a book that in a lot of circles is considered the Swiss Army Knife of Communication. I love that analogy. And she is our guest today. Lisa, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm really looking forward to this today. Oh, good. Well, this is a distinction that you have. Uh, it's, It's not for lack of trying on my part, but you are the first female guest on this show. Wow. Yay. (laughs) We are on, uh, it is episode 13, and I must point out that uh, uh, lucky episode number 13 is being recorded on Friday the 13th. Yes, it is the 13th. I was just going to tell you that. I was going to say, do you realize it's the 13th? (laughs) Well, that probably means that at some point, and I'll realize I haven't been recording the whole time. No, no, no. The 13th has always been lucky in my life, so that's a lucky day for me. Well, one would assume that uh, being an effective communicator is just something that has always come naturally to 
you because you do this for a living. But I love the uh, story you tell in the beginning of the book about how early on somebody kind of had to pull you aside and say, Lisa, you need to work on this. And I'd love it if you can share a little bit about that story and how that sort of altered your life's path, that whole situation. Sure. I was a young management trainee at General Electric and I got pulled into Bob Goodman's office. He was a very senior manager at the time. My stomach was doing flip-flops. I was <laughs> extremely nervous going in. I sit down, we have some chit-chat. And then he said something to me that I seriously have never, ever forgotten. He said, Lisa, you're like a ship. You're like a big cruise liner coming into port. <laughs> you rock all the other boats around you and you don't even realize it. And I was mortified. <laughs> I mean. I had won like public speaking awards. I thought I was a really great communicator, but I think that we learn to read and write in school, but we don't necessarily learn how to be effective interpersonal communicators or to be most effective in the work environment with our communication skills. So they sent me to training. They sent me to this, this interpersonal skills training. I still remember the training because I went in and there was a guy sitting next to me. He was really unhappy, this curmudgeon kind of guy. And he just was complaining and complaining. He worked for the post office and they did this survey and the managers that scored the worst on the survey had to go to this course and he called it charm school. <laughs> so we do this survey. That was our first task. It was a communication style survey. We do the survey and there's all these different columns of things that they score how you interact with people. And I was dying to know what his scores were. So I peeked over and I looked at him and then I looked at mine and I looked at his again and I looked at mine and <laughs> we were identical oh boy. <laughs> in every category. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. <laughs> and I, I, I really seriously, that was like a changing moment for me. Mm. I said to myself, I'm going to get better at this. This is not something I'm going to continue with. I really need to understand communication. And I just devoured everything, everything I could possibly find on communication skills. And I read books, I went to seminars. I did, I mean, I really did as much as I could. And then Eventually, I got promoted to a consulting team at General Electric. And on the consulting team, we had, I was an IT person. So I had, you know, the information technology background. There was a manufacturing person and a finance person. And I kept harping on it. But what about the communication issues? Or what about the communication issues? If we don't solve those issues, we're never going to solve the technical issues. And eventually, my manager got so tired of me <laughs> saying this about the communication. She's like, look, we need somebody on the team. You you be that person. I'm like, I don't know anything about communication. She's like, go get a degree. Go, we'll pay for it. Go get your master's and we'll, we'll pay you for it. And you come back and do programs for us. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> so they, I was like, really? And she said, yeah. So I went and, and got paid to, to get my master's degree and came back. Now, an interesting side note. So this is years and years, right? I was in my, my 20s probably at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm now 51. And she is a COO at a major, major, major financial institution, this boss that, that sent me to get my master's degree. Mm -hmm. And I just signed a contract with them to do a huge, huge work contract for them doing communication skills for her teams that are at this organization. <laughs> You've done a, done a 360 here. What goes around comes around. Look at that. Exactly. <laughs> well, I would love for you to share about the thing you start the book off with. The first chapter appropriately is about first impressions and, and what we can do to ensure we're putting our best foot forward whenever a new opportunity presents itself. Right. So the mouthwash commercials tell us, you know, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. In fact, there's research that supports that. 
In 2006, there was two guys that looked at it and they determined that it only takes one-tenth of a second. That's one-tenth of one second to form an attraction or form an impression, I'm sorry, of attractiveness, of trustworthiness, and competence. And also aggressiveness, by the way. Mm. But the three that we care about here are attractiveness, trustworthiness, and competence. And what's really interesting is that even if you give somebody more time, that even that more time, it just cements whatever that initial first impression was. Wow. Okay. Yes. So that first impression is critically important. So people say, oh, well, you say this, you say that. Well, you don't say anything in the first tenth of a second generally. Usually that first tenth of a second is your posture, your handshake, your facial expression, and particularly your smile and your eye contact. Those two things make a huge difference in that initial initial impression. I used to work with a guy, a guy who I, I have a lot of respect for, but who had the absolute worst handshake of anyone I've ever met. And it was just so off-putting. It was hard to even uh, get past that whenever seeing him in social settings or in or at work. And I always worried about how that impacted his relationship with others, I'm, you know, people outside uh, the workplace. There's a lot to be said for, for a solid, decent handshake, is there not? There is, and it's surprising to me how many people think they have a good handshake <laughs> and don't recognize that they don't. Mm. And I mean, I have a, in my workshop, sometimes I'll stand in the front and I'll shake every, every single person's hand. And I can tell you that the majority of people don't have a good handshake, mm. which means that's a lot of people <laughs> walking through that don't have a good handshake. And, and some things, sometimes it's just a minor thing, you know, that's not, it's not firm enough or it's not strong enough or whatever. There's, you know, minor, minor differences, but a lot of people don't even know that you need to have that web to web contact first. Right. You know, when you touch the, what the web of your, your fingers as between your pointer finger and your thumb, if you don't web to web first, then you don't get a good shake. And that really makes a huge difference. I know it sounds silly, these little tiny details, but you're right. That impression of the handshake can can devastate someone. If they have a poor impression of you, that poor impression takes a long time to change over to a good impression. And one of the things I love about the book is, is, is you go into great detail as to how to implement each of these things we're going to talk about. You often give step-by-step processes, and that includes how to shake hands and shake hands well. And I love the, uh, that aspect of the book and the detail you provide. Um, you share early on in the book, speaking of step-by-step processes, the six steps to improve your conversation skills. I'd like you to share with us what those six steps are and if you would briefly describe each of them for us. Sure. So the first step is to cultivate a welcoming attitude. And what I mean by that is imagine that you are open and that you're not worried about what you're going to say or how you look or how the other person will perceive what you have to say. The idea is to be open and friendly. My mom was the queen of this. She made friends everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. It used to drive me crazy as a child. Yeah, sometimes to your embarrassment, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Extreme embarrassment at times. <laughs> But she knew she knew how to, to draw people out. She knew how to welcome people. And I think that a lot of people like to have another person start it because they're not comfortable starting conversations. So I think it's a good thing. So then the second step, right, is to pay attention to everything around you. And I think by paying attention, that gives you fodder for conversation. So 
when I go to an event, this is going to sound stalker like, but when I go to an event, I actually Google people ahead of time and not to get, you know, nitty gritty details of them, but I want to know what the people that I want to meet, I want to know what they look like. I want to have some idea of maybe some common ground that I have with them so that if I do walk up to them or if I do happen to meet them, that I have something to say and a way to build a stronger relationship faster. And so I think being aware of who's there, doing your research, and then even just being aware of the industry news, the local news, just getting as aware as you can so that you've got stuff to talk about should a conversation occur. The next step is to be genuinely curious and interested in other people. What I mean by that is you don't have to fake fake your energy. You can really seriously want to know what somebody has to say. Even if it's not something you're truly interested in, you can still learn something from that person. So I think to put the other person first and to understand that that let them speak about what it is that's important to them and that'll help you move the conversation through. I've been to my share of industry events where the person I'm talking to is spending most of their time looking over my shoulder at who else they can talk to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hate that. <laughs> well, if they're looking over their shoulder, right, then then you say to them, you know what, I think you should talk to such and such. And then you go introduce them and then you drop that person off and then you're free to go talk to someone Yes, else. I love that. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> okay, back back to our steps here. So we're We've cultivated our attitude, we paid attention, we're curious, and now what we're looking for and listening for is common ground, which is what I was mentioning in the beginning. So when I say common ground, what is it that you're really looking for? Things like your shared culture, you have a shared environment, shared activities, a shared interest, roles, attitudes, values, beliefs, whatever you can get to. I, I always teach people that when you walk into a room, pretend like you've got this big hula hoop around you. <laughs> and the hula hoop is that outside edge. So it's the environment. So, you know, the room, the whatever, wherever you're standing. And then as you move in, those activities, your interests, your roles, your attitudes, your values, your beliefs, those are getting closer and closer and closer to your heart, to your center. Mm. And the idea is when you first meet somebody, you need to just slightly overlap your hula hoops. So you're looking for that environment, the activities, the interests, the things that you can talk about that you've got in common out there. But then as you're asking questions, which is the next step, you're asking these open-ended questions and you're having follow-up questions. As you're asking questions, you're listening for what is underneath of those activities and interests? What are their attitudes? What are their values? What are this person's beliefs? Because the idea is that once you can identify these lower level things, then you can then share something back which shares that same value or that same belief. The closer you can get, the more you can share on this lower level, the more bonding that's going to occur. So <clears throat> that's key to having a relationship, right? Building a relationship. And I love the analogy of the, the overlapping hula hoops. That really helps solidify it in my mind. I love that. Right. So, you, and you don't want to, of course, some people, you know, take the entire hula hoop and put it over the entire other hula hoop. <laughs> Not a good idea, right? right. That's TMI, right? <laughs> the idea is you're slowly overlapping. Right, right. right? And it depends on the person. For some, for some people, you're going to be able to move down pretty quickly depending on how you gel with that person. If your values and your beliefs and your attitudes are really similar and close, you have one of those conversations that just click, right? And mm. you feel comfortable sharing those deep things with that person. But other times it's not. Other times you need to stay out at that environment level, at the activity level, at the interest level, and just to keep the conversation going and flowing because you don't necessarily have those deeper overlapping areas. 
Well, if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you didn't know what to say or when to say it, then chapter three of Lisa's book is is for you. Lisa, I know you get this question a lot. What do I say when fill in the blank? Now, we don't have time to dissect you know, every specific situation necessarily, but what's, what's some of the more universal advice you give to people struggling with what to say and when to say it? The most important advice is to not get hung up in the words. Some people think they have to find the perfect words or they're not quite sure exactly what to say. And if you're not sure exactly what to say, say that. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what to say. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> the, the problem is that a lot of people, when they get into that severe emotional state where they're, they really don't know what to say, then they disappear. They go away because they they don't know how to handle the situation. And so they don't call the person and then time goes on and time goes on and time goes on. And that just makes the relationship worse. And so the overall advice here is don't worry about the perfect words. Don't worry about it. When you're in those difficult situations, the most important thing is to listen to the other person and tell them that you're being supportive of them, whatever that means. You can even ask them, how can I support you? What is it that's going to help you the most right now? I want to do that for you. Well, I know for for me, when it comes to follow-up, it suffers the same fate as goal setting. Uh, I I know how important it is to do, but I I don't do it as often as as I need to do. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. Why Why do you think that is? Because we're busy. <laughs> we're busy with other work, with our personal life. And then things happen in between. It gets to, we think it's too late to, to respond back. And so we don't do it. Or maybe we just forget. Or maybe we don't want to appear pushy. There's so many reasons why people don't follow up. But I think that the primary reason is a lot of people don't know how to follow up. They don't know the rules of follow up. And that's why I talked about those in the book. And that's why I gave so many of them in the book. Here are ways that you can follow up. Because sometimes you don't even think about, oh, I could do that. Oh, that's easy. I could do that. Yeah, you list like, I think, 20 different ways of doing that. Is that right? I think I think that's what I counted in the book. There's like all these steps you can take, that many of which I had not thought of for following up. And I'm like, man, I got I to gotta put these into practice because it'll make a world of difference in what I'm trying to do. And just really simple things. And, and just to remind yourself that it's important to persistently go back and follow up. Well, you've outlined to the seven rules uh, of networking. We don't have time to cover all those because after all, we I want people to buy your book. <laughs> <laughs> we want to leave them wanting more. But what are some of the basic rules of networking or some of the basic concepts? So I think the rule that a lot of people know, but don't necessarily do effectively is to invest before you withdraw. So many people wanna withdraw right away or they recognize that they need to withdraw. It's time to, to, to rely on their network, but they haven't done the investment and that's what makes them feel uncomfortable. They don't wanna go to their network because they haven't invested in it and they right. feel weird, right? They just feel like they're asking for a favor. I, I heard Chris Brogan say one time when I saw him speak, um, Chris Brogan, author of, of Trust Agents uh, and another book, the name of which escapes me now, but I know you know Chris. Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I'm friends with them, actually. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, he talked about how, uh, and I have this happen often. I'll, I'll connect with somebody online, and the next thing I know is they're asking me for something, and I, I, I've just met them. And he says that he likens it to walking up to someone who you're meeting for the first time in a social setting, and instead of shaking their hand, sticking your tongue in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, I haven't heard him say that. <laughs> Withdrawing before investing, in other words. Right, right. But pe- yeah, we're, you know, as the, the, the common analogy is, is a, little, a little less gross than <laughs> just described, but, you know, asking someone to marry you on the first date. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> Same concept. Mm. But yeah, I think I think it's so critical to reach out and invest. And I think that sometimes we get so, again, wrapped up in what it is that we're doing that we forget that it's time to reach out to other people and to invest in whatever they're doing. And what are some of the other concepts, uh, networking that you, that you espouse? So I think that consistency and persistency are important. Mm-hmm. So consistent in the sense of what is it that you said you're going to do and then follow through with that. Yeah. And, and to be persistent, but, but not pushy, right? So be persistent and patient. For example, um, I noticed that when you and I were interacting, right, I had, you interacted with me at a time I was kind of busy. You had said, Oh, you know, can we do this? And I said, yes, but not now. Right. I'll, I'll get back to you. And I said, you know, if I don't get back, you need to contact me again. And you did very politely one week later, Lisa, just raising my hand. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, still can't do it now. Still want to help them. Still can't do it now. And I so sent back to you, yes, we need to give me another week. You know, give me another week. Right. Eventually, we got ourselves together. And I did, you know, I think now we've we've got a pretty good, strong relationship. We've done some other work besides this interview. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's what it takes. It takes that consistent and persistency. And in some cases, from both sides. I yeah. mean, you, yes, you can only do so much from your side. You, you were testing me, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> it, was a, it was a pre-interview there test. You, go. <laughs> you passed. Okay, good, good. Well, you dedicate a chapter in your book to the art of diplomacy or, or how, to, how to speak with tact and, and grace. I'm better at this sometimes than I am at others. But what are some of the traits of, of, of a diplomatic communicator? So I think that a diplomatic person doesn't criticize. Mm. Um, they're appreciative. They see the other person's point of view. They choose their words very carefully. They understand the importance of word choice. They understand uh, that they need to be open. And I think that in general, they're relaxed. Now, you have a Winston Churchill quote in the book uh, on criticism, and, and you talk about disagreeing with that quote, and you go on to talk about restorative feedback or what you call restorative feedback. Can you describe what, in your mind, what that is and what that means? Sure. Restorative feedback is a concept that I actually somewhat stole from the field of medicine. Mm. Restorative medicine talks about restoring a person back to a healthy state, to return the person back to a strong, healthy Mm. state. And so to me, that's what feedback should be about, returning somebody from a state that brings them to a more healthy, stronger position. And so it's not short-term, it's usually a long-term process, and it requires reinforcement and encouragement so that people can learn and that they learn in a trusting environment. And I think that's different from how people have talked about constructive feedback in the past. I, I don't agree with that. I think it's it's a it's a bigger process than just a short term give somebody some information, that old sandwich approach, that doesn't work. <laughs> Coming from radio, I've had my share of, of talent coaches critique my shows and over time you you really have to develop thick skin if you want to survive and do well. So what advice do you have for, for folks who are on the receiving end and, and handling criticism? 
So the, the first step, I believe, is to not react emotionally, mm-hmm. that you need to react with what I call thoughtful consideration. So think through what the person had to say. And the next thing that you do, and I think it's helpful, is to diffuse that criticism with gratitude. So how would you do that? Hey, thanks for sharing that with me. Mm-hmm. If somebody is really, I mean, really, really delivers your criticism in a negative way, that, that, that they don't give it to you in a restorative feedback manner, mm-hmm. just by saying, hey, thanks for sharing that with me, you might be surprised at the response <laughs> that you would get. <laughs> Very surprised looks. And sometimes it just cuts somebody right right in their tracks or stops somebody right in their tracks. They just don't, they're not expecting that. And then I think it's need, you need to think about how you're going to respond. And sometimes you need to just paraphrase back what the person said, because sometimes the person's just venting at you. So if I heard you properly, this is what you said, you, you know, you disagree with this. And it's helpful if you can find something before they disagree with something that you both agree on. So you can say, well, I, I think we agree on this, but you know, we disagree in this area, whatever that criticism was. And then you, you may want to ask them to give you an example. Now, that's a tricky one, mm. depending on who it came from. If you give them an example to, to help better understand it, you might get yourselves into hot water, but mm. you may not. I guess if you're emotionally ready to have that conversation, you might want to ask for those specific examples to try to understand it better. And this segues nicely into another chapter where you focus on having difficult conversations, something that we all inevitably find ourselves having to do from one at one time or another. But a lot of us avoid them uh, and put them off as long as we can, and I'm no exception. What are some of the reasons we should not avoid difficult conversations? When you When you put off those conversations we fill in, we make assumptions about what's going on. And a lot of these are negative assumptions and ill will builds up and small matters become huge. And even, you know, a conflict becomes an unmentionable conflict. It just gets huge. And in fact, there was a research study done in 2007 that showed that from a lack of discussing something that's important, people lost sleep, They turned into health issues, they lost friendships, and they lost jobs as a result of not communicating and not having these difficult conversations. Mm. What I find really fascinating is that most people, after they've had a difficult conversation and they've handled it in the proper manner, the relationship is usually better. (laughs) It usually comes out better on the other side. Imagine that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Lisa goes on to talk about the nine steps to achieving a positive outcome from a difficult conversation to me well worth alone the price of the book right there. Um, one area you cover is the art and science of persuasion. What are what are some ways we can ethically convince people to do what we want them to do, by golly? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people, when I talk about influence, they think, oh, you're just teaching people to manipulate other people. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's really important to first understand there's definitely a difference between persuading and manipulating. Mm-hmm. Persuading for me is when you convince someone freely to change a belief and manipulating is when you try to trick someone into doing something that's potentially harmful, Ah. which are two completely different things. Absolutely. So there's a there's a book that's been a huge influence on me and I'm sure of many people is Cialdini's book called Influence. And in his book, he talks about six principles. He calls them weapons of influence. I I prefer to think of them as tools, but he calls them (laughs) weapons of influence. He's a guy. What are you going to (laughs) do? True. (laughs) 
he's a good guy though. I, yes. I, I really, I really like him. Um, but <laughs> he talks about these six tools or weapons, sorry, that you can use. And I think that it's good to understand these from the standpoint of understanding what they are, mm -hmm. to recognize them, and to potentially protect yourself from from them, or to use them for for good, hopefully for good influence. Mm -hmm. So one of which is reciprocity, which we've sort of talked about this in a way, but when you treat others, the better you treat them, the better they're going to treat you. The idea is that they have a sense of obligation to return a favor to you. So I think that that's part of what we talked about in terms of networking, in terms of building value first, right. in terms of building a relationship, in terms of sharing your stories. All of that comes down to this concept of reciprocity. Um, another way to do it is to um, gain commitment to a change in behavior before making a request for that. So what does that mean? So you want to get somebody to commit to something. So for example, there's lots of studies that show you know, if you have somebody knock on your door and you say, hey, you know, can I, um, you know, would you sign this, this petition that says that you're for better schools, something like that, you know, for better schools, something simple that they can do, they can just sign the, 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 the survey. So the person signs it. And then you come back a week later and say, hey, so something more difficult, would you put a sign in your yard that talks about this new school that's coming? Well, because they've already committed to that initial thing that, yes, schools are important, you're more likely then to get that person to say yes to that second piece, which is to do the bigger, the, you know, the bigger influence, which is to put the sign in the yard. And so we want to get people to commit to behavior before you ask them to make a change. Before we change directions here and go on to some other questions not related to the book, is there anything else from the book you'd like to add that we haven't talked about yet? No, I, I think it's it's something I just I just wanted to mention. You said it with there's a lot of detail in the book. I wanted to mention that this particular book is one that I wrote with a companion website. So there are additional, lots of additional material that goes with the book. And so there's lots of fun material. There's lots of fun YouTube videos that, that go along with some of the topics that the, the readers can, can follow along with. I tell them where to go. And then there's additional what I call VIP content, which is a lot more additional content, which didn't fit into the book that I think was important content that they would get. So you're not just getting the book, you're getting the book plus it's very comprehensive. I love the chapter challenges and the quick quizzes that you do. And, and and it's important to take those in the moment, right? Not just to go, oh, I'll, I'll finish the chapter and I'll do that later. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get anything out of it, that is. Well, let me ask you this. As a professional public speaker, when it comes to presenting and public speaking, uh, what are some of your favorite go-to tools and software? Do you have some things that you just really love when it comes to helping you uh, deliver a better speech? You know, I'm I'm pretty much a very simple gal when it comes <laughs> to presentations. I, I primarily present just me talking and occasionally I'll, you know, I'll use PowerPoint slides and the slides are very, very simple. It's a single yeah. image or a single image with some text on it. It's very, very simplistic. And that is of course through, you know, the, the, the professional, picture sites. I use a couple of them. I don't want to say the names actually. <laughs> uh, well, because I, there's sponsors involved and one sponsor is not, it's complicated. Sure, but in sure. any case, I, <laughs> so those sites I'm sure you're aware of when you're listening <laughs> <laughs> that provide photographs that are professional photographs. I, I use those. And that's really, 
That's really it. I mean, the other the other tool that's not software, but it's a hardware tool that I love is my little clicker. Mm. Um, I have a Logitech clicker, which I have gone through so many brands of clickers, and this is by far my favorite one. Well, as I've seen my share of presentations and I've talked to other experts, it, oftentimes people do try to do too much or put too much in a slide. And I think the presentations that I've gotten more out of are the the ones where the slides are very simple and it's an image that that emphasizes the point being made and maybe there's just a little bit of text like you said but not all obviously the bullet points and you know full paragraphs of things that you're saying on the slide right I'm, I'm much more I mean obviously I teach communication skills so I think that telling stories and having an interpersonal connection is more important than focusing on the tools and the software. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Well, who are some of your favorite public speakers, like people that you've looked up to and maybe uh, learned from over the years of doing this? I can tell you that the people that I've learned from are people that you've never heard of. <laughs> That's okay. Nobody, well, we, we want to know about them. We want to know about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's a woman who's now in her 90s. Oh, wow. <laughs> who, who was a local TV caster. When I was in my 20s, she was part of a club, a Toastmasters club that I was in. Okay. And she was a very articulate, exceptional speaker. And she was the one that that coached me. And she she was extremely refined with her word choice. She had a, a very extended vocabulary. She spoke very regally. Mm. And that is not me. (laughs) (laughs) I am very casual. I slur my words. I have a Philadelphia accent. (laughs) Not me. And Mm. one of the big lessons she taught me was to just to be comfortable in me Mm. and not try to be her. And so, I mean, she taught me lots of other things as well, but she was one of my, my main people that I, that taught me early on. And then there was um, a Marjorie Brody. She's also a local person in this area who I've learned, I think again, early in my twenties, but I think that you can learn lessons from every presentation that you attend. I really believe that. In fact, each week in my newsletter, I do not every week, almost every week in my newsletter, I'll do a Ted talk analysis. And so I'll pick one to look at and then I'll say, you know, here's what I liked and here's what they could have done differently to improve their improve the presentation. And you can learn from every single one. There's always something that you can gain from a speaker. They they some speakers do things really well, some th- speakers do things not well, and I think I've always said this, it's almost like a buffet table <laughs> for public speaking skills that you can pick and choose certain spices or certain you know aspects to the table the, from the buffet table they're going to help you be a better speaker but they may not be tasting good to the person next to you right. right so you have to choose what works for you so it's it's hard to say oh well you know look up to this particular speaker and get get you know all the things that that person does you know what for example a lot of people love Zig Ziglar he's the guy from you know from years gone by and Zig is famous for that kneeling on his knee and you know standing up in front of the audience and and, you know doing a lot of that that physical movement well I personally don't like that (laughs) (laughs) I love Zig Ziglar yeah but I always thought that looked very fake very rehearsed didn't seem natural didn't seem authentic but that was his trademark so I mean, every every single person you can learn from, whether it's learning from the negative side or even from the positive side. 
Well, you, you've mentioned the one book uh, already. Uh, can you name for us a couple of books you've read in the last uh, few years that have had a really big impact on you and, and, and how they impacted you or why they impacted you? Yeah, sure. There's two that I had pretty significant impact on me in the last, I'd say, two or three years. So one was called Confer- uh, Conversation Transformation, and this is a book by Ben Benjamin, uh, Amy Yeager, and Anita Simon. I love this book because it takes an approach to how people can really transform how they talk to another person, and it's very practical. It's very, very theoretically based, but it's so easy to follow and so easy to understand. And it really can make a huge difference in a person's life. I mean, even even me, I'm a you know, communication expert, and I read pieces in here that I went, oh, mm. oh, oh, that, <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, wow. So I really, I mean, I really strongly um, love this book. And I wish, I wish it had gotten better play, but it, it didn't, unfortunately. And then the other book, which was um, interesting for me, I am not a good person to improvise. I like to have a plan. I like to know what's coming at me ahead of time. And so a couple years ago, I decided I needed to practice my improvisation skills. And I took an improv class. And that was a huge challenge for me. And then after that class, I was so excited about improvisation that I bought this book called Improvise This. I'm sure you probably heard of this. I have heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this one's from uh, Mark Bergen, Molly Cox, and Jim Detmar. I have both of them sitting here in front of me. And these these are definitely two that had big impact on my life. In terms of the improvisation, I think that one of the things that, that catches me is that I'm always too much in my head. I'm always trying to think about, well, what is it should I say next? Instead of just shutting up and <laughs> listening and paying attention to what's around me, to let that absorb. How do I just paid attention? I would have found the next thing to say far more easily. And that was a huge lesson for me. You know, again, you think I'd know these things, but <laughs> sometimes knowing them and, and acting on them are two entirely different things. <laughs> well, if, if we ever have you on the podcast again, I'll know to send my questions sooner than two hours before the podcast. <laughs> 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 yes, that would be nice. That would be nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for me, for, <laughs> for this plan, everything. Mm. Well, before we wrap up, uh, let us know uh, where we can find you online. I know there's a couple of different websites you might want folks to know about uh, related to the book and then your personal website. And share with us any uh, new projects you've got coming up, maybe that you want others to know about. Where can we find you You know, on Twitter, et cetera? Right. So the, the most exciting new project that I have coming up is Smart Talk, the podcast. And Smart Talk, the podcast is going to be inspiring conversations with extraordinary people. And that I'm really enjoying putting that together. It hasn't launched yet. Mm-hmm. It'll launch um, probably in a couple months. I haven't quite got the final date yet of when that's going to launch, but I'm really excited about that. My My inaugural guest is going to be Ben Franklin who will be talking about his 14 virtues that he lived his life on to make him a great founding father and also a scientist and philosopher. And that's the whole idea. We'll be talking to extraordinary people to understand their, you know, their mindsets, the actions and the principles of these people so that we can get inspired by them. Kind of like what you're doing with authors, except for this is little bit different, slightly different. And you are obviously, uh, and I didn't know this, the owner of a, of a, 
uh, time machine, apparently. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> well, I live in Philadelphia. And so when you live in Philadelphia, there are many, many Ben Franklins. Um, but there is one Ben Franklin, Ward, I can't remember his last name, he's going to kill me, Ward <laughs> Taylor, I think it is. Oh, I'm not sure. But he is the Ben Franklin wow. in Philadelphia who has been enacting his life and his uh, role for years, probably since I was in my 20s, I met him. I met him when I was in my 20s. So I've known him now 30 years. Wow. So it's been a long time. So in any case, though, he that's the first guest. Yes, I have a time machine, but there's <laughs> going to be lots of great guests that are going to be coming on. And that's my new thing. But if you would like to learn more about the practical steps and tips, of course, there's the book. And you can go to smarttalksuccess.com for the book. And there is a cool challenge there that people can take. It's a 14-day challenge where they can get a short little communication skill builder for that day and then see how they do with that. It's been amazing. It's been a huge response to this. People love this thing. So take a look at that if you're interested. And then, of course, you want to know more just about me and what I do, you can go to lisabmarshall.com. That's me. And we'll put uh, links to all those in the show notes for this episode, of course, as well. Well, Lisa, I really enjoyed the book. In fact, I'm still working my way through it, uh, uh, but I'm loving just how everything is so applicable and how you laid it out. And I highly recommend it to, to anyone listening to this episode. Thank you again so much for being our guest and being and having the distinction of being the first ever and not the last female guest on this program. <laughs> you know, Jeff, that, that really warms my heart. I'm so excited about that. And I'm excited to have you on my podcast very soon. Well, so am I. I'm really looking forward to that. And thank you for that invitation. It was a pleasure having you on today. Mm, thank you so much, Jeff. I hope you feel like you have sharpened your communication skills after hearing from Lisa on today's episode of the Read to Lead podcast. She wants to hear from you. Let her know what you thought about today's episode and the insights that Lisa shared by sending her a tweet to at Lisa B. Marshall on Twitter. That's Lisa B. Marshall on Twitter. To comment on this episode and find all the resources we talked about today, just go to the blog readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 013 for episode 13. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 013. If you feel the podcast is five-star worthy, I would love it if you would rate and review it in iTunes. If you give it a five-star rating, in fact, and leave a review, I'll be sure and mention your name in an upcoming episode as a small way to say thanks. To rate and review the podcast, just visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. That's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Speaking of which, I want to say thank you for five-star reviews from Ernie Lansford, also, John Dennis of SmartTimeOnline.com, Intermac, Millie Karkoff, Matt Maines, and Travis Scott. And even though she didn't leave a five-star review, I'd like to give a shout-out to uh, Amy Wilson, who gave the uh, podcast a four-star review, saying the theme song is really unfortunate, really needs a new one. I apologize, Amy. Please stick around, Amy, for the hidden track after today's podcast as I make several attempts at a new theme song. Would love to know what you think. Well, next week on the show, we welcome New York Times best-selling author Andy Andrews. His new book, The Notice of Returns, releases the same day, October 1st. That'll do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. 
As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Mm-hmm.